Hello and welcome everyone back to Eyes on the Mize. This is episode 3, Farewell Siege Rhino, I Knew Thee Well. We are recording on March 16th, 2016. We are smack dab in the middle of Shadows Over Innistrad spoilers. I am your host, John. Joining me on the, uh, on the line is your host, Ian. Hey, what's going on? All right. So right now, like I said, it's middle of spoiler season. I believe Gabby Sparks did a big vampire reveal on her stream earlier today. So instead of talking about spoilers today, instead of looking forward, we're going to take a look backwards. Oh yeah, because obviously spoiler season means the new set's coming up, and it's about time for rotation, actually, this one. Yes, because they have the new block structure, because there are two sets per block, and there's going to be three blocks in standard, the large set release that's going to happen in the spring and in the fall is going to trigger a set rotation. So your standard decks are rotating every six months instead of rotating every 12 months, so make sure you're aware of that. And the date to mark is April 8th, the release of Shadows Over Innistrad. But John, what's rotating? What is rotating? Now, this rotation is a little weird. I have seen probably a hundred questions a month about rotation since we had the new Metamorphosis article, and specifically what is rotating are two sets. They are Cons of Tarkir and Fate Reef. So that means that Standard is going to consist of Dragons of Tarkir, Magic Origins, Battle for Zendikar, Oath of the Gatewatch, and Shadows Over Innistrad come April 8th. So, those, co- those wedge cards, those Fate Reforged cards, you can go ahead and put them on the back burner, save them for another day. Or Modern, or Pauper, or Legacy, or, or just the bulk bin. <laughs> or whatever whatever formats that you like to play that involve really, really old cards. Yeah. So, Ian, when yep. was Cons of Tarkir released, and when was Fate Reforged released? Right. So Cons came out, it's kind of crazy, September 24th in 2014. Fate Forge came out January 23rd, 2015. So Fate is just... A little over a year old at this point, yep. uh, where it's like 15, 14 months at this point. So what uh, what was kind of nice though about how they structured that block is with the whole time travel aspect of Khan's fate and dragons of Tarkir is that it allowed them to have that nice split where they can be like, all right, we can get rid of Khan's and the the, the past set, and then the new the current uh, canon, I guess you call it con- uh, Tarkir, the new timeline. Yeah, the current canon Tarkir. So it's like, all right, we're getting the old stuff out of the way, and now we have this. Um, it was also advantageous that they had the final core set to pair with that. Yes. So another big push is that Cons of Tarkir and Dragons of Tarkir are very different sets with very different themes, or very very distinct themes, which oh, is yeah, great like they, for our rotation stories. Yeah, they got rid of the, like I mentioned, they got rid of, they're getting, the wedges are going away, because when it switched over from Cons to Dragons... The dragons implemented, I guess, like a two-color system. They were just like, man, we're not going to have that third color that end up with the wedges. Exactly. I guess, I guess you could say it was associated with the cons themselves, where the three colors and the dragons like, no, no, no. You dropped that extra color off there, buddy. Exactly. So that ties nicely into how did Standard, or what did this the set in general, bring into the Magic Lexicon? And I think that any conversation about Cons of Tarkir and Fate Reforge starts and stops with everyone's favorite, or least favorite now, Future Sight mechanic, Delve. Oh, yeah. It coming back, like, neither of us was around for this originally, and I think it was on just a handful of cards. It was on, I believe, exactly three cards Okay, from so, Future Sight. Yeah, so not a lot of cards, and obviously the whole point of Future Sight, for those who don't really know, was to introduce potential future mechanics. This case, they were messing around with Delve, and this felt like the good time to do it, especially under... 
the Sultai clan, which was the uh, blue, black, and green, which was a graveyard matters uh, focused clan. Yes. So the three cards that we've seen with Delve before cons was Logic Knot, which is blue, blue, X, and it's a Clash of Wills, for those of us who are in standard right now. It's counter-target spell unless its controller pays X, but it has Delve, and we should probably explain what Delve does. It says you may remove any number of cards in your graveyard from the game as you play this spell. It costs one less for each to cast for each card removed this way. So you, if you have five cards in your graveyard, you can exile those and add five on to the colorless cost for the Delve spell. The other one was Death Rattle, which is five and a black with Delve. Instant, destroy target non-green creature. It can't be regenerated. And then the big baddie, the big boy himself, Tomb Stalker. Six, six black black demon flying Delve at a 5-5. Five five. Funnily enough, I'm playing Death Rattle in one of my pauper decks. <laughs> yes, that is, that is quite cute. Uh, so now with Delve coming back, we were allowed to see a few more ways that it could stretch out. Now, the ruthless, the ruthlessness clan of the Sultai was based in black with blue and green kind of as on the edges. And really, what Delve kind of showed us, once again, because Magic players seem to forget this every single time, is that cost reduction mechanics are very, very dangerous. Yeah. They just... R&D is like, seems like a good time to do it. And it broke a lot of formats, thanks to cards that have Delve, such as Treasure Cruise. Treasure Cruise, a very, yeah, Treasure Cruise is a very unassuming card. Oh, it's eight mana, draw three cards for seven and a blue. That's totally fair. But with Delve and in Eternal formats like Legacy and other stuff, that means you can basically cast an Ancestral. Yes, Ancestral being Ancestral Recall, a card from Alpha, the Alpha Limited set, which it says basically one blue mana, draw three cards. One of the most powerful cards. Yes, definitely up there in the in the discussion for best card of all time. Oh, yeah. But Delve was definitely super powerful in older formats. However, they didn't need to do anything about banning wise and standard because it wasn't nearly as broken. Yeah. However, we did have another set of cards that helped fuel it. Oh, yes. And those would be the Fetchlands. Wooded Foothills, Windswept Heath, Flooded Strand, Polluted Delta, and Bloodstained Mire. Fetchlands are probably the cards that players are most excited to see because they're lands that wizards can just reprint whenever they want. And they're simple. You pay a life, you tap the land, you sack it, and then you go grab a land card with one of two basic land types. So if we take look at Wooded Foothills, it can grab a mountain or a forest. Why is this good, Ian? Well, for one, it helps thin your deck because you can, instead of having, say you're running 20, 20 lands, you're probably going to run, uh, let's say 10 mountains, 10 forest. You run wooded foothills in there, you can take away two of each and add wooded foothills. And if you play that, say you need a mountain and you have three forests out there, you can grab that mountain or a forest depending on your mana things if you needed. But it also helps fuel Dell by putting stuff in your graveyard. And it's just a really good card. It got insanely broken when the uh, Battle for Zendikar block came out and they introduced the Battle Lands or the Battle Duel, which have the basic land type of mountain, forest, plains, swamp, island, meaning these fetch lands could go grab any of those cards. Yeah. So the fetch lands are very, very powerful in older formats when you look at, say, the Shock Lands from Ravnica or you look at the original Duel Lands because they have, well, two basic land types. And if you ever ask the question, why won't Wizards print cards with three basic land types? Fetchlands is pretty much the reason why. 
Oh, yeah. It would just be absolutely ridiculous. The closest we'll get to those trilands was the tap trilands from the cons block. Yeah, they also had the layers way back in the day, so... Yeah. But we don't no. talk about those. Uh, the, well, the tap trilands, like people are saying, based around the clans, like... Speaking of the clans, they were Obzon, Jeskai, Sultai, Mardu, and Teemer. They finally have names! Well, they kind of had names, but they were, like, nicknames. Yeah, that's true. Not quite. I mean, Obzon, which is white, green, black, was nicknamed Junk. Yep. Uh, Jeskai was white, red, and blue. Mm-hmm. So, America. America, Sultai, France. <laughs> or, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Sultai, like previously mentioned, is the blue, black, green. Mardu is red, white, black. And Teemer is red, blue, and green. Yeah, so these are the three color combinations that have a color and it's two enemies to mirror the shards from Shards of Alara, which had a color and it's two allies. Now, the the wedges were waiting a long time for their names in lore, I should specify, because again, they, players will name, name name cards or name decks however they want. For example, mm-hmm. Soul Tide decks we would call Bug decks because B-U-G happens to be the color acronym for blue, black, and green. Or Teamer was Rug. Exactly. Red, but blue, green. By being able to give them names now and wizards to be like, hey, here's a name that you can call them, and now every single Magic player can have a similar uh, similar vocabulary when referring to these decks. Now, sometimes there is a little bit of confusion with, with what made an Abzan deck, and we'll get to that in a minute, because Abzan, you could have a flavorful Abzan deck, or you could have just a deck that is Abzan because those... Oh, yeah. But speaking of those things, I mean, so... We had the Fetchlands. It helped enable really powerful mana bases, which helped you get those colors to be able to enable you to play actually these three colors. They wanted to help a player uh, be able to play these weird colors. However, they only really touched a couple of the two colors in those actual three color clans. Yes, because you don't want the mana to be too perfect. But, you know, it happened to become perfect once. I think Wizards realized that the Fetchland plus dual lands with basic land types experiment was a little too good for standard. Oh yeah, which ended up with, I mean, we're looking at the impact on standard, ended up with a, like you're able to play four and five color good stuff decks without any problem. Basically how that was allowed is normally if you're like with standard, we were used to playing three colors Max. or even two. What this allowed people to do is like, for instance, I was playing in standard most recently, uh, blue, red prowess. However, the Battlelands, the Battle Duels match the colors of our uh, Fetchlands. So me using a blue Fetchland and a red Fetchland, there is a blue-black Fetchland and a red-black Fetchland. This caused me to have an incidental splash in black. Also, your Battle Duel, your Battlelands, they were Smoldering Marsh, which was a Swamp Mountain tapping for black and red, and a Sunken Hollow, which was a blue, which was a Swamp Island taps for blue and black. So, so what I so allowed me to do is I could play my Polluted Delta, and my Polluted Delta, which is a blue-black fetch land, could get me blue, black, or red. Yes. Just like how it would work in Modern, where you can grab Shock Door and other things of that sort. It was insane, and it's broken, and people were coming up with all kinds of crazy names, like Mardu Blue, uh, Abzan Green, Jeskai Black. I, I preferred Is It Oreos. That that was a very great Cur- name. Thank you, the, Eric Cur- Froelich. Yeah. Thank you, Eric Is It Froelich. Oreos was the best one. Yes. But this all kind of comes together in these three color cards because one of the basic rules of magic is the more stringent a mana cost is, the more powerful the spell is. 
And I don't think that this can be surmised any cleaner in the card Siege Rhino. Oh, that buddy of mine. Yes, Siege for Rhino. While, for a while, I was a fan of him. Yes. And then, that was way back in the day when we had uh, Theros Block in there. I was on uh, Obzon Whip. So basically, it v- valued enters the battlefield creatures such as Siege Rhino, who is a one, one generic, a green, black, and a white for a four five trampler. When it enters the battlefield, you get a lovely drain effect of your opponent loses three life and you gain three life. So you could just whip put in put in the battlefield. If it dies, it goes to graveyard, you can put it back on the battlefield using whip Verabos and it was hilarious. But it's a four mana card that has a four five power toughness and it tramples and it enters the battlefield effect and it was just supposed to be so like all of that in one card if it was two colors, would probably cost like five or six easily. Easily. Instead, it was converted mana cost of four just because it had the three color requirement. My favorite story about Siege Rhino, it all involves uh, the a latest developments article during the release of Magic Origins where Sam Stoddard went through and outlined kind of the, the direction that Siege Rhino took. Because, because for a while, Liliana of the Veil, one of those powerful Planeswalker cards ever printed, was in M5, was in M15. And well, Siege Rhino was the had the Liliana text. Liliana the Veil has a plus one that says each player discards a card. So for a while, Siege Rhino had the text: if an opponent will cause you to discard this card, put it into play. It was the anti Liliana card, and I believe it was also like a three mana oh, three so four. Locks it on, like locks it on. Uh, locks it on, Smiter or yeah. Obstinate Bailoth, yes. Or uh, Wiltly Fleet. And then Siege Rhino was given Trample because during the FFL testing, which is the Future Future League, they were having trouble with a card First Response, which is an enchantment that says whenever you lose life at the beginning of at the beginning of the incept, if ever you lost if you lost life this turn, put a one one soldier into play. And with the Painlands in the format, that was being that was and Mana Confluence that was pumping out a lot of soldier tokens because it was very it was really cheap for them originally. So if you ever wonder why Siege Rhino has Trample, that's why. And then I don't think it ever made the set, did it? Uh, no, first response made the set. It was a four mana enchantment and it was really bad. <laughs> See, I didn't even know it was there. So bad. Yeah, it was an uncommon. So, <laughs> all right, it was great. So, Siege Rhino was really the headliner of the variety of Abzan decks that showed up because Abzan was probably one of the best decks in its original standard format, where where you either run Siege Rhino as the top end of your Abzan aggro deck alongside c- powerful cards like Anafenza, which is a three mana four four, or mm-hmm. Wingmate Rock. A lot of text on it. And a lot of text on it. And then there's Wingmate Rock at five. Or you could play Abzan Control, where your first creature was pretty much uh, Siege Rhino. And it's just, Siege Rhino just enabled these Abzan decks to do some very, very absurd things. Yeah, it just utilized a lot of the kill spells, um, stuff like the charms, like Abzan, Abzan Charm was insane. The fact that Abzan Charm exiled, oof. Yeah, but it was... The three colors just allowed for these crazy, more powerful cards to be printed that wouldn't, at a lower cost, at the expense of, you know, you might lose your turn one to play. Like, before we had the duels in battle, we would play the Trilands, which entered battlefield tapped. So you might basically take turn one off, essentially, to get your tap three-color land out, and then your mana was, like, perfect after that. Yes. So that, that ties nicely into the the big reason why Cons of Tarkir, I think, is is their limited format was a success. And that was the reintroduction of Morph into the format, and then in Fate Reforged, the introduction of Manifest. So Ian, what does Morph do? Well, what Morph is, is it's an alternate cost to cast a creature. Uh, you pay three generic, 
and you put the card face down on the battlefield. When it's face down as a morph, it's a 2-2. So you're basically getting a 2-2 for 3. However, when it unmorphs, it has a specific cost. Now, they have... Usually the cost would be a little bit cheaper than the face-up cost. And odds are there wasn't really any crazy interesting effect. Some had some really amazing effects, like uh, Master of Pearls. That was... Master of Pearls being a 1 in the white for a 2-2, which is already fine. But you can unmorph it for 3 white-white, and then you give your entire team plus 2 plus 2 when it's turned face-up. So it's a bear at its face-up cost. But when you flip it, it gets insane. They also had... um, They did a... What they kind of regret named Megamorph, well, which puts a counter on it. We'll talk to Me- we'll talk about Megamorph when we get to the Dragons of Tarkir. Oh, because... right, but it was in it was in Dragons, so it utilized the same flip mechanic. Manifest um, was a thing that basically allowed you to put any card off the top of your library down as a morph. Now, if it was a land or a spell, such as an instant enchantment, artifact, whatever, that it wasn't a creature. You, it was basically just going to be a 2-2. Because the However, rules define face-down cards on the battlefield as 2-2 colorless creatures with no name. Correct. However, they also allowed you to flip it. If, say, you just say you happen to manifest your Siege Rhino, so your Siege Rhino is face-down as a 2-2, you can flip it up for that 4 mana cost. You have to pay its face mana cost, but it doesn't get it enter the battlefield effect because it's already on there. It just changes its state. Now, the, the reason why Manifest is on here for, for the big reason is there was GP Miami where the finals was this mirror match of these absurd decks, which was the green-white Manifest deck, which was enabled by a card called Mastery of the Unseen. It's a two-mana enchantment that says whenever you turn a permanent face up, you gain life equal to the number of creatures you control. It's like, okay. And then you could pay three and a white and Manifest the top card of your library. So... You can pay four mana, take the top card of your library, put it into play, and it's a two-two. The finals of that form of that GP, I think both players were at least in triple digits at least once in all the games. Oh, there was, yeah. There's there's insane pictures where board state is just the entire camera is just cluttered with cards. Some are face down, some are face up, and both players' life totals are above like two hundred. Yeah. And it was just like whoever could get a card to bounce it, like it was ridiculous. And for a while, it, everyone was just like. Oh, I actually, funnily enough, I remember one of the streams that I was like watching, uh, uh, SG Doc, Doc was playing in uh, a standard, uh, uh, some standard, uh, he, yeah, he was in his, like a two-man standard cube and actually ran into Sam Black. Who, who played this people, deck. Who was one of the people who, who discovered this deck and broke this thing wide open. Uh, but funnily enough, the group he was with and then another group also discovered this deck. So it was utterly ridiculous in the sheer just life gain power that this deck had and yeah. people were just you'd see somebody start playing their uh master the unseen and you just groan because you know it's just going to be a, a grind to even hope to kill them if you didn't remove that uh master the unseen soon you were going to be yeah out of luck it got to the point where the master of the unseen decks had to start sideboarding against themselves and one of the cards that people looked to and leaned on was no joke Dragon Throne of Tarkir. I'll just let the you guys look it up to see what the whole deal with that was. But we gotta we gotta keep going because we got a lot of things that had a oh, huge yeah. impact on standard. So Ian, you mentioned this this blue red prowess deck. Oh. What is what is prowess? Prowess is essentially storm on a card. Now John loves storm. I do. It's his pet deck basically yes. in modern. But what it does is it says 
Creature with prowess trigger, and they get a they get the the creature eh, creature itself gets plus one plus one until end of turn whenever a non-creature spell is cast. So that could be instant, sorcery, artifact, enchantment. Now, what you would do with this is you would take a card such as excuse me, you have a card like one of the probably most insanely efficient creatures ever printed uh, in Monastery Swift Spear or Taylor Swift as the uh, community got the color T-Squizzy, Tay-Tay, all that good stuff. She was a one mana haste. So it's so a one red. She'd pay red mana. You get a two one haste. No, one two haste. One two haste, right. Because the two toughness was right, very, very important. One, right, right. The one two haste. So you get a one two hasty creature with prowess. So you land her on one, peck, peck your opponent for one. Cool. Next turn, you have two mana and odds are you're probably going to have two spells to play or you can play another Swift Spear and a pump spell, such as Titan Strength. Yes. Which is red. Target creature gets plus three, plus one until end of turn. Scry one. Very yep. powerful card with that because you you play you cast it. Your Swift Spear gets the prowess trigger, becomes a two three, and then gets plus three plus one, making it a six uh, six four. Uh, five four. Five four. Sorry. I was jumping. I was getting ahead of myself. I was thinking that I was casting some other cheap spells no, after you that. Get, no, you get a 5-4 out of it. Yeah. And your other Swift Spear would also get the trigger. So you could be essentially swinging for 7 on turn 2. So Prowess played so well during cons. It was a really fun deck. It was very tempo-based. And it came back in Fate Reforged with a, another pet card of mine for Modern, Monastery Mentor. 2-2 uh, two, two for 3 with Prowess. And then whenever you cast, instant or sort, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you get a 1-1 one, one Monk that also has Prowess. He just spirals out of control. A lot of impact in older formats. I think he's a, he's a finisher in Vintage, finisher in Legacy. And there's a few lists in Modern that play him. Uh, yeah. However, Prowess was just so much fun that Wizards said, you know what, we're going to make this evergreen. And we get a, now we're getting Prowess cards almost every set. There's there was Battle for Zendikar missed out on one. It probably just got cut at some point. Well, I think it was it was right. They it happened to fall right in that lull where they were. They'd probably already gone th- way through development of prowess or way through development of the block. And then we're like, you know what? It was so popular, we made it evergreen. And they weren't able to actually, I think they actually said they were. But it was in Magic the- Origins. Right. Yeah. They were, they, so. I guess Origins was like its extra test to make sure. But yeah, yeah, it ended up on a card, Abbot of Carol Keep. We'll get into that when we talk about Origins yeah, down the road. Abbot but is it, really, really. But it helped enable these decks. And I love it, frankly. Yes. Like there's a modern deck around it that I'm probably going to be building tweaking and all that stuff it's just it's it's a fun mechanic for if you want to castle it's it's designed for low cost creature spells low yes. cost creatures to take advantage of low cost pump spells or free spells in some older formats yes so prowess was very very strong uh it's it's hard to believe that the re- that in the first legacy open after cons came out that it was monastery swift spear and treasure cruise that won the gp and everyone was surprised that Swift Spear won that GP or won that open as opposed to the Treasure Cruise. They were like, yeah, Treasure Cruise, absurd. And it was, and now there's debate whether or not Taylor Swift Spear, Monastery Swift Spear, is the best red one drop ever. Yeah. It, the it's fact fighting, that it's a debate. Yeah. Debating against Goblin God, which is a one, is a red 2 2 haste. With a downside. It has a downside, yeah. Well, because in the decks that you're going to be playing there for red, you're going to be playing those cheap spells anyway, but I love it. Yes. But. She played in a huge role in a deck that won not one, but two different Pro Tours. Yeah, just to show how powerful Swift Spear is. In the Mono slash Atarka Red, 
Now, it was mono red in its first win, but it became a Tarka red, which people would be like, oh, it's a Tarka or a Gruul. It's red-green. Uh, it basically utilized those quick creatures, the cheap red burn spells, and you could use the prowess to pump it high enough to enable a card called Teamer Battle Rage. They called it almost a combo deck in itself where target creature gains double strike until end of turn. But it had the Teamer mechanic of Ferocious, which read, that creature also gains trample until end of turn if you control a creature with power four or greater. So say on turn three, you get that lovely Swift Spear plus Abbott. Titan Strength. Oh, yeah. Where, you go, yeah, where you get Titan Strength on there and then cast a Teamer Battle Rage and now you're hitting for uh, 12. It'd be 14, prowess trigger. No, it would be 12, never mind. I'm 12. getting ahead of myself again. Yeah, ah. yeah it's 12. Yes. Because it's a 5-4, five, 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 and then it becomes a 6-5 double striker. Double strike trample. Which, yeah, with, yeah, double strike trample. So your opponent thinks they have decent blocks, and all of a sudden that little 1-2 becomes... Huge. Ba- essentially a 12-6. Essentially a 12-5, yeah. yeah. A 12-5, yeah. Now, so, quick aside, is Teamer Battle Rage the best card with... Probably. I think so. Anyways, that card is going to be seen play in Modern. It's seen play in Popper. It is just an absurd card. Now, how decks fought that crazy combo? Because, like I mentioned, you could get hit for one on turn one and then eight on turn two and then basically be dead on turn three. What they would do is they would play a card called a Ration Cleric, which is a one and a white human cleric one three. That's bad. Enters the battlefield, you gain three life. That's okay. It's an okay whatever card, but the fact that it had three toughness and gained you three life was just enough for some, if you were a white control deck, like a white base control deck, like Esper controls, that's white, black, blue, or an Obzon control deck, or any deck running white, you would have two to three of these in your sideboard specifically to counter this one deck because it was so crazy. Yeah, it was just very, very crazy. Um, That brings us very nicely into... Uh, the next two decks, which have been very big role players as of recently, one of which is Hardened Scales, single green which, enchantment, where whenever you put a counter on one of your creatures, you put an additional counter on your creature. Card was relatively a joke, and everyone was like, we need to break this card, we need to break this card. People were trying so long and so hard to break it until the latest set came out. And then we get Nissa, Voice of Zendikar, who has a minus two of put a counter on all creatures you control, and oh boy... That makes Nissa really good. You see turn one hardened scales into a turn two. Uh, is it Avatar the Resolute? Uh, really? You don't want Avatar no, at that want, point? Because want, oh, no. You want to go... Uh, Servant of the Scale. Guard. Yeah, Servant of Scale times two. And, and then you just... play the Scale Guard. And then you play Nissa. And then you just have like and all these just, creatures yeah. that have like counters galore on it. It was great. That did pretty well. Now, the real card and the current bane of standard is one card that we like to call Rally the Ancestors. Which everyone, and I mean everyone, thought was terrible. Oh, it was total jank. It's white, white X for an instant where you return all creatures from your graveyard with CMC equal to or less than or equal to the X value you cast into play. And then you exile them at the beginning of the next upkeep. They don't even gain haste because white doesn't get haste. And people were like, this card is so bad. How- like, why, why would I play a creature? The only thing that even, like, Okay, I'm going to pay six mana to get my Siege Rhino back. Ooh. Yeah. And it took the the advent of a few cards, namely Nantuko Husk in Magic Origins, which was a great reprint, as well as several cards from Battle for Zendikar, like Zulaport Ch- Zulabort Cutthroat, 
and a few other cards that die for value or enter the battlefield for value to really break the rally deck wide open and turn this turn it into an actual archetype that is currently the best deck in standard. Oh, hands down, it is absolutely the best deck in standard currently. Now, what you would do is, you mentioned Natuko Husk, and why that's such a crazy card is that it's a sacrifice card. You sacrifice a creature to it, it gets bigger. Now, any creature, it can sack itself. Correct. And with a card such as Zulport Cutthroat, it's what they call a fixed blood artist. It's just a simple little, was it 1-1? It's a 1-1 for 2. Yeah, 1-1 for 2, but whenever a Zulport Cutthroat or another creature you control dies, you drain, which means your opponent loses one life, you gain one life. Yeah. Drain, not keyworded, just just a player shorthand what it does. Yeah. What it does... Basically, yeah. So what what happened is you could cast your you could have a whole bunch of stuff in your graveyard that you've just dumped in there or has died easily. Cast your your uh, rally of the ancestors, put them all on the battlefield, and then wait until. So what would you what play people would usually do is they would cast it on their end step, get a bunch of stuff in onto the battlefield. You this card uh, deck also played Jace Vince Prodigy, which is the flip Jace, which is a bonkers card. And so by the time it would get to their upkeep, before they would sack it, they would, you know, do Jace's uh, discard ability, allow it to flip, becomes a Planeswalker, whatever. But then they start sacking everything else, all these other cards. Um, some of the cards, uh, Catacomb Sifter, yep. is a thing wherever another creature you control dies, you scry. So you can just start scrying before you draw, get dig to the card you want to get. Then you could just sack everything to your Nantuko Hus that was sitting on the battlefield already and make it gigantic and get scry effects, drain. It was it's ridiculous. If you have a chance to go watch a match or something of someone playing it, please do. For it example, at the last standard GP, GP Houston, Owen Turtenwald won the tournament with four color rally. And just watch any of his games with the deck and you can see why it's just a so absurd deck. It's one of the few decks in standard that can win without it has two lines of play. It can win with just the creatures it plays, because the creatures it plays aren't bad. They might be suboptimal for combat, but they're not bad. Or it can just go, oh, you have no interaction? Uh, rally the Ancestors, kill you. Yeah, and it's so crazy that Owen call, did a called shot on the GP. He, he tweeted out before the Grand Prix that basically they should just cancel it and award. Basically, like, sorry, the GP's been canceled. You know, uh, Award Owen Turtonwald the win. And then he wins. It's just like the it was deck great. is ridiculous. Deck is great. At a good behind a good pilot or at the hands of a good pilot. It's yes. Deck. Yeah. And the reason why it's currently great right now is because of all of the mana. It's a four color deck. It's running Catacomb Sifter, which is a black green gold card. It's running Reflector Mage, which is a blue white gold card in the same deck and can cast them both consistently. Oh yeah. And, and it's trying to cast a white take, white. You can, take, and, you can take those like first two turns off. Yeah. Even with this deck. It's, a, it's casting a white-white instant. It has Collected Company in it, which is a four-mana green instant. It's casting Jace Vrint's Prodigy, which is a two-mana blue card. It's casting Ailey, the Eternal Pilgrim, as like a one or two-oh, which is a black-white gold card. It is just absurd. And if it wants to, this deck can play whatever the heck it wants to on curve. Exactly. It's just crazy. But and that's brings... all because of a card we will miss. I'm not going to lie. I'll actually miss this. Okay. So you're going to miss the fetch lands in standard. Why? Well, before we had the crazy mana base, it was nice just to be able to be able to grab a color you'd want or something like that. Yes. I know I I won Dragons of Cart- Dragons of Tarkir game day behind, at the hand or at the controls of a green red dragons deck that utilized those fetch lands so well because I would have had to play other like 
the the deck that the red green dragon deck played a bunch of cards that had double red mana costs in it and had a green red mana cost on had a green red mana cost on turn four a double red on turn four a double red on turn five and just to get those cards out there you needed to have decent mana and be able to play grab what you need plus it thins your deck it removes lands from there so you don't draw a land at the time you need a spell I will jump in here, and as the mathematician, I have to tell you, and I have to put this out for our, re- or our listeners, not readers, listeners, that do not play fetch lands for deck thinning. Play them because they get your colors. Deck thinning is negligible except over hundreds and hundreds of games. Do oh, not right. play a fetch land because it makes your deck one card thinner, and you are more likely to draw your spells as opposed to lands. The effect I, I, is I negligible. Should, okay, I should also, I should correct, correct, but... It does also enter a shuffle, which is great if you have a card that scries. Yes. So scry is you look at the top card of your library, you may put it back on top or on the bottom. So why is that good, Ian? So if you get a scry effect before you're going to draw, or say you're able to scry and you see a card on top that you don't want, you can put it on the bottom or you can shuffle your library if you want. Yeah, it's very powerful. Now, you run I the mean, risk of you know, getting that same card back, but... yeah. Now the fetch, I, I will miss the fetch lands a little bit because this was the first time they were reintroduced since Onslaught, which was right before Modern came out, right before or the Modern format kind of starts with Mirrodin, and this is the first time that players, that a lot of players have had a chance to get the fetch lands, and for a while they were very affordable, and it was great because players love fetch lands, and that made a lot of great things happen. It put the allied fetch lands into Modern, which has had very very big impacts on the format, so it is just very not, very. Not like just- Play-wise, but financially. Yes. Um, like, like I mentioned, my Red Green Dragons deck, I picked up those Red Green Wooded Foothills for $9 a piece. I mean, they're like 25 something nowadays. Yeah. But, I mean, they jumped, obviously, once the, the Battle Duels came out. But it was just a cheap, rare land for a while that was very... had a high sense of... Yes. They're very sought after. They're very good. So... That is something that you you need to remember. Fetchlands are good, so if they ever reprint Fetchlands, which they probably will at some point, no time soon, but they will, just remember to think back and go, yeah, Fetchlands are good. All right, next card that we will miss that we probably should have mentioned in the impact is Ugin, the Spirit Dragon. Oh, God, Eugene. Yes. He was nicknamed by the player base. Yes. Ugin is a 8-mana Planeswalker. 8 generic mana, so any deck can cast him as long as you can get to 8 mana. He starts at... I want to say seven, he starts seven at seven lo- loyalty. Yep, seven loyalty. Seven loyalty. I've got him pulled up. So yep. yeah, it says eight mana, seven loyalty planeswalker. His plus two ability says Ugin the Spirit Dragon deals three damage to target creature or player. So you can pay eight mana to get a seven loyalty planeswalker, tick him up two to nine, and lightning and cast essentially lightning bolt on someone. Right. That's good. Not a bad effect. I mean, it's not your optimal. What's optimal when it lands is you get minus X. Exile each permanent with convert a mana cost X or less that's one or more colors. You can stick him on turn eight, minus him five or six, and literally just wipe the board. Yeah, it is. He can he keeps very absurd things. He can board wipe, which is very powerful, and exiles, which is the most important part there. It's just... Oh. What's, what's great, though, is that he won't have enough... Unless you tick him up once and then minus him, he can't kill himself right off the bat. Well, he wouldn't do it anyways because he's colorless. That is very true. Yeah. Why would Ugin kill himself? But That's a good point. Anyways, uh, Ugin, suicide, is, Ugin is very, very powerful. He's played in but modern. He's going to mi- be a casual all-star from now until the end of time. But his minus ability is what is insane. It's minus 10. So remember, he starts at 7, 
three turns later, you can use his ultimate, which is you gain seven life, draw seven cards, then put up to seven permanent cards from your hand onto the battlefield. Well, the problem with eight mana cards or very expensive cards is that if you cast them when you're behind, they don't do, they don't do a lot. Ugin is great when you're behind. He's also great when you're ahead. And if you ca- if you're able to get to his ultimate, then you just gain seven life and put seven cards into play. It's just oh. a, a great ability. Plus, it is super flavorful. And it says permanent, so that could be you could end up drawing five lands. Oops, I have five lands now on the battlefield. If you had nothing else better in your hand, it's he was a great card. Was the top end of many control decks during during yep. uh, his time in standard, and he is going to be missed. Yeah. Also, remember his ultimate is the exact opposite of Nicol Bolas Planeswalker's ultimate, which says target opponent loses seven life. They discard seven cards and they sack seven. Per- yeah, it's an amazing flavor win there. We already talked a bit about Monastery Mentor. Monastery Mentor is one of my pet cards. Super powerful. Lots of old format play. And it's just great. I'm going to miss him. Yeah, he's great. I'm looking to possibly build a modern deck around him once he you know, goes over there. I made sure I picked up a playset before nice. he jumps after rotation. Taylor's uh, Swift Spear. So Monastery Swift Spear is one of my pet cards. Um, she actually paired well with another card we're going to miss, which is kind of something that they've gotten away from, which is Cheap Burn. We actually had the Strictly Better Shock. Now, Shock was red, deal two damage to target creature or player. Wild Slash is the Strictly Better Shock because it has that lovely ferocious clause of if you control a creature with power four or greater, do X. Now, Wild Slash's X was damage can't be prevented this turn. So he stops fogs. It notably notably stopped protection from working. So, it's, yeah, it's it was hilarious, and I loved the card, and... We haven't seen a cheap burn spell since it was printed. Yeah, not not that that as good as Wild Slash. Cheap and efficient. Yeah. So the next card that's listed that we have as cards we'll miss is one Soren Solemn Visitor. Now, Ian, why are you gonna miss Soren? Uh, he was just a straight value planeswalker. Now, Soren Solemn Visitor is two white black for a four loyalty planeswalker. He has a plus one ability that says until your next turn, so that includes your opponent's turn. Creatures you control get plus one, plus oh, and gain lifelink. So you don't even need to attack. Say you were able, you, he's great in the early game, he's great in the late game, he's great in the mid game because of that plus ability. Incidental lifelink in the early game, whatever. But if you're behind and you have some blockers and you just need to catch back up, it just absolutely wrecks your opponent's aggro strategy because you're going to be gaining some life back. Yeah. He has a minus two of. And this is his protection, which a lot of Planeswalkers, quote-unquote protection that people use to judge. His protection is minus two, put a 2-2 black vampire creature token with flying onto the battlefield. He just spits out vampires. So you can land him on turn four, minus him down to two, put a vampire on the battlefield. Next turn, you have plus one, you give your creature life, you give your little vampire plus one, plus oh lifelink, hit your opponent, Hits them for three, you gain three, and then you can play something like a Seed Rhino or Trigger Raid for Wingmate Rock, which is the five-mana flyer that if you attack this turn, you get another token. Yep. It's He was just great in decks that wanted to play that. So in the earlier days of the Obzon Aggro deck, he was there as a four-drop, maybe two or three of, yeah. alongside Seed Rhino at that mana slot. It's hard but to compete mind- against Seed Rhino. If you're able to get him up to minus six, which is ultimate, you get an emblem with at the beginning of... Each opponent's upkeep, that player sacrifices a creature. If you're able to just, if you're able to go turn one, turn two, turn three with creatures like the Obzon deck love to do, you can just go turn four Soren plus one, turn five Soren plus one, 
turn six, your opponent literally just has to sacrifice a creature every turn, and it's utterly abysmal to play against if your creatures don't have haste. Yes. And you're not able to put more than one on the battlefield. Now, I've only seen a sword ultimate once. Luckily, it was on my side, and it was in limited. It was a, how it was good a, was it? How it was, was great. It? it was just so, so good. It's just like, how does my opponent beat this? Oh, it they don't. Yeah, it's one of those abyss effects, which is basically a sacking permanent. It just it can spiral out of control for your opponent if they can't deal with him. Yes. Now, Soren did see modern play. There was a big discussion when he first came out because there's also there's already a four mana black white Soren and Soren Lord of Innistrad. And the discussion is which one's better. And the the synopsis or the the synopsis of the argument is Lord of Innistrad is better because his plus ability makes the token. And for Planeswalker protecting themselves, doing the plus ability to protect them is very, very is very important. However, however, Soren Song Visitor was saw play more often in Modern now, thanks to its synergy with a card called Bitter Blossom, which is very absurd and very broken. But it so just now, spits out one one tokens every turn. Basically, we can get into more than that at a later date. But Soren was a great card. We're definitely going to miss him. Cards we're not going to miss. For me, I'm not going to miss the Fetchlands. Because I'm tired of seeing these mana bases in standard, which are 12 fetch lands, four, five to six battle lands, and a few basics. I'll admit, I also fall in the I won't miss them. Even though I said I'll miss them, if the battle dual lands had never existed, I'm absolutely sure that it would never fall into I'm going to miss lands. It has produced, like, a, like John said, these absolutely insane mana bases where you're getting... I know, and like I said, like I mentioned that Blue Red Prowess deck of mine that splashes black. Being able to play black, I have eight fetch I have eight fetch lands in the deck. I'm playing four or five basics, so like three islands, two mountains. I forget the actual split of it, but it's there's not a lot. No. Basically a lot of decks, like the four color rally deck, will actually be playing more fetch lands than they have fetchable sources in the deck. It's crazy. So it's I mean, it has the lovely downside of it pings you for one when you sacrifice it to grab a land. But you don't care just, about that cost. No, I'm not going to miss these crazy mana bases. I'm so happy that we're going to be getting back to basically being only able to play two colors and a light splash into a third using some sort of thing like uh, what are you thinking? Evolving, of? evolving wilds. Yeah, evolving wilds. Okay. Or even yeah, but it's it's not. We're not going to see these three colors. And with the wedges rotating out, that's. A lot of the last couple sets have been narrowing it down to back to as a two-color system yeah. again. Uh, other cards we're not going to miss. We're not going to miss Siege Rhino. Or as Magic TV, which is uh, Channel Fireball's uh, Twitch-based TV show, we're not going to miss the second Siege Rhino either. <laughs> yeah, they had like Siege Rhino at number three card they're going to miss. They're not going to miss. And the second Siege Rhino, because I don't know why it always seems to happen this way, but... A large group of rhinos is called a crash, and the rhinos came. The siege rhinos came in crashes. Your opponent would stick one, and then they'd stick another, and then a turn or two later they'd stick a third, and you're just like, you know what, whatever, scoop next game. Yeah, it just was, always felt he, like you always had multiple siege rhinos. You always so had just it was crazy. And as Paul Chion in that said, basically, you know, it's often the case that. You hear the story of, oh, my opponent drew the third Siege Rhino, and I couldn't beat the second Siege Rhino to begin with, so it's just crazy. Yeah, there's a reason red decks would play a spell like Roast, which is one in a red, deals five damage to target none. Creature without flying. Yeah, creature without flying. Basically, that card existed solely in red decks because all their removal was less than five. 
And it gave it was, red decks a way to effectively and efficiently kill Siege Rhino. It's it, it was a check on Siege Rhino. I mean, five toughness is hard for most colors without a unconditional uh, kill or exile clause. Yes. So we won't miss him. As fun as he was to cast on your side of the battlefield, just playing against them no, was impressive. Exactly. And the last card we won't miss, Ian. Freaking rally, man. Freaking rally. Yeah. Rally yeah. just It's funny how it went from being just utter jank to I don't I I'm glad to see it gone. Yeah. Because the deck is the deck that it that it enabled exists along with the lands and these value creatures. It's a literal toolbox deck. It is very, very strong. All those I'd... scry triggers. There's another card, Grim Haro Specs, which lets you when a creature you control died, you draw a card. So you could stack your triggers properly to scry, 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 and then draw, scry, scry, draw, scry, 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 draw. It, it was, was just absurd. Yep. All right. So we've got a little bit of time left. Let's talk about some of the cards that flopped. Cards that we saw at the beginning of cons or the beginning of fate. And we're like, these cards are amazing. And they weren't. So Ian, what do you, why don't you start us off with the uh, first card on our list? I put down Soul Flare. Now, this card was kind of funny. Everyone saw it. It's a... Rare was, I was like, oh my gosh, it has the Delph mechanic. It's a six mana, four, four. I was like, what the heck? But it's four black, black. So with Delph, you could potentially only have to pay two black for it. Now, the yeah. reason why this card, everyone's like, we need to try and break this card, is the, the large chunk of text below Delph, which reads, if a creature card with flying was exiled with Soul Flare's Delph ability, meaning at most four, unless you were playing against, there's nothing in standard that actually lets you up the cost of the card. So something like... Thalia, which means, or something that would increase the cost of a card. Now, Thalia is non creature spells. Yeah, Thalia is non creature. Oh. Vren Wingmare, yeah. which is in standard, is also non creature. Yeah, anything that would increase the cost of a mana or a creature's cost would help with this. But so you could delve at most four away. But any creature card with flying exiled, Soulflare gains flying. The same is true for First Strike, Double Strike, Death Touch, Haste, Hexproof, Indestructible, Lifelink, Reach, Trample, and Vigilant essentially all of the keywords yeah he is was very very cool he did enable a deck in standard called chromanta flare which utilized the card chromanticore which is a a wooberg white blue black red green five five enchantment creature with four, four. all the keywords was it four four mm-hmm. four four with all the keywords it had flying haste vigilance trample etc uh, it was flying first strike vigilance trample lifelink oh it didn't have haste okay they so had can, all those abilities, so you put it in your bin, and you cast Soul Flare, you exile it, you give Soul Flare all those abilities, and you just go, ha ha, I made a 4-4 with all these abilities, and then your opponent cast Absent Charm and exiled it. <laughs> What's funny is, I actually saw a Soul Flare. Now, Kramantikor was one of the enchantment creatures from the Theros block where you could bestow it, meaning it had its mana cost and some, to equip two. it as it, you, yeah, it was two Wooberg. So it was two extra generic, and you could, plus it's all five colors, and you could equip it, essentially, it becomes an R, not equip it, it becomes an R spell, which you can attach it to a creature and enchant it. I saw a Soul Flare enchanted with a Chromanticore. That's crazy. At one point. It's like, the guy didn't have the Delve, he didn't have it in his graveyard, the next card was on top was Chromanticore, so he just like, I have the mana, might as well just suit it up. Yeah, it's just, Soul Flare was not, was not great. Uh, then our final card that flopped, which is kind of, a, a giant swath of cards, was just... it's. Well, the, the card we have listed, it's it's more indicative of the entire clan itself. Yeah, that's Savage Knuckleblade. Big Nux himself. He's a 4-4 for Teamer, so that's green, blue, and red. He has 
a smorgasbord of abilities. You can pay two and a green to give him plus two plus two. You can pay a red to give him haste. You can pay two and a blue to return him to your hand. So he could protect himself. He, if you could stick him on turn four with double red, you could have a four four hasty swinger. He was just so good. Had all the great abilities. It was exactly everything that a a teamer tempo style deck wants to do. It's just that teamer in general was just not up to snuff. It was it was the weakest of the clans. Mardu had amazing removal because it was touching on black. Sultai had amazing synergy with delve and graveyard strategies. Jeskai was just straight value with draw cards, burn, and the blue touch for counters. Like it's amazing how the difference between having green and white attached to it differed the Jeskai so much from Teamer. I think you mean the Abzan from. Oh no no no! I see what no, you're no, Jeskai. Yeah, yeah. yeah Jes- Jeskai, the the green versus the white, because Jeskai and Teamer both share red and blue, and that white green swap, the power level of the cards we were given was just so much more in favor of white. And now this Jeskai is this could be for a different podcast entirely, but I think that part of the problem with Teamer was that if you look at the Abzan decks, which which dominated the initial part of that standard, it had Anafenza as a three drop, and then Seedrino as a four drop. Teamer oh, yeah. has Savage Nuckleblade as a three drop, and what. Excuse me, and what is its four drop? Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. It, it got that uh that mythic from Figure Forge the um yeah shaman of the, shaman Great, of the Great Hunt, which was a three and a red four two haste. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, put a plus one plus one counter on it. Problem is, is if you look at it, it's a four two. Say your opponent sticks that seed rhino on turn four. Yep, can't attack past the seed rhino. You can't attack past the Siege Rhino or the Anafenza they've stuck yeah. with either of your yeah, either cards. So it Teamer was just underpowered ever so much more slightly than every one of the other clans to the point where you just would rather play Jeskai over Teamer or yeah. anything else. Or Sultai, you know, you drop the red and play black for the awesome removal and graveyard synergy. Yeah, so. it was just – unfortunately, Teamer did not get their day in the sun. Hopefully sometime down the line we'll, we'll revisit some, some wedge cards and we will get – a little bit more power in there. Hey, you know what I just realized? Huh? We talked about Delve all this time and all this amazing teamer stuff. We never mentioned the Banana King himself. Tassiger, yeah, Tassiger was on the top front of my line. Tassiger is a five and a black, four, five. He's a human shaman with Delve. And he's essentially a one mana, four, five. That's fine. He also has an ability for two and a hybrid blue, blue, green. So you can either pay a green or a blue. And he has two of those. So two, blue, green, blue, green. And you put the top two cards of your library into your graveyard, and then your opponent picks a non-land card and puts it into your hand. So yeah, like it's it's that, and also the uh, amazing Gurmag card, Angler. yeah, Gurmag Angler that essentially has almost launched its own uh, uh, archetype in pauper formats. Yeah, the Delve decks basically it's uh was it seven? Yeah, uh, it's six and a black. Yeah, six and a black for a five five with Delve, yes. just straight up five five. And there are cards out there at common that let you play him on turn two and on turn three. Yeah, it's it's absurd. Delve, I think, is a Delve is a is a mechanic that Mark Rosewater in a recent article basically said that it's not coming back without the right amount, with the right environment, or without the right th- timing for R and D to go. You know what? I think we're ready for another another chance at Delve. But yeah. I would not expect to see any Delve cards in standard. And any Delve cards that they do print in the future are going to be very, very scrutinized because of how good they are. And they never te- – like mentioned R&D, they never really test leader formats. Yeah, they only test for standard and limited. This is definitely a mechanic that they would look twice at because of 
the insane brokenness that it can cause in older formats. Like they saw what it did to Legacy, they saw what it did to Modern, they saw what it did to Vintage. Yeah, we didn't even mention Dig Through Time. Like, yeah, we were so focused on Treasure Cruise, and Dig Through Time was just, just as good, beyond powerful in terms of card draw. It's a six blue blue delve. With delve, and you look at the top seven cards of your library. Seven. Pick by the two. Time you're, by the time you're casting this, you're probably looking at a quarter of your deck. And then you pick two of those cards to put into your hand and put the rest in the bottom. They were so worried about Delve that they banned Dig Through Time in Modern at the same time they banned Treasure Crew, which made a lot of people really, really salty. However, I think it was still the correct move. People are oh, still going to ask beyond, them to... Beyond the correct move to do it. Yeah. They're still going to ask for them to put... De- to put dig back into modern, but I feel like that that's just a losing battle. Just like banned. trying to ask for Jace back, he's never coming back. You don't need to banned ask. In modern was it, are they banned in legacy too? Banned in legacy. Yeah, banned dig, in modern, banned in legacy, restricted in vintage. Dig got a year in dig got a year in legacy, and then it was just like, yeah, this is making us show and tell a bit too good in other combo decks. Yeah. Go ahead and say no. So. But yeah, it had like as you can see, these, these cards from cons and fate were great in standard, and they hit other stand formats as well i'm wrapping it up i love the set um the 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 limited set we didn't really hit on it you mentioned it briefly the limited set was incredible for triple cons it's definitely i haven't been around long in the game drafting but it's definitely like probably my favorite draft format that i've ever played so far in the last like three years yeah cons let you do a lot of things you got to you you could draft the two color decks they weren't the norm you would normally draft your wedge decks uh, or sometimes you could just draft straight five color cards. Morph yeah. enabled this great t- great thing where if you are missing a color of mana, you still have something to cast on turn three. Yeah. Uh, it got to the point where you would look at a card with Morph and ask yourself, do I just first pick this Morph card? Yeah, well, what people would do is I'm, it got to the point by the end of the draft format where people would, they had these dual, like in all the ten color combination, all the two color combinations of land that would enter the battlefield tapped, and you'd gain a life at comments, you're going to see them a lot. And people would just literally take pack one off from every other card. Any Unless it was land. a bomb. Unless it was a Unless bomb was a or bomb. great. They would just yeah. take lands. They would literally just pick lands for their entire first pack and then take nothing but morph cards the other two packs. And yeah. they would have powerful decks Yeah. because they could just go, whatever, I'm just going to play a bunch of these cards, hit a morph on turn three, and then just keep going and keep going and just start flipping morphs and doing all kinds of crazy stuff and all kinds of colors. And you would never know what card was under there because they were playing all five colors. Yeah, it was great. Well, that's going to bring us to a wrap. Again, I just want to echo what Ian said. Fate Reforged and Cons were great sets. They were a lot of fun. They really impacted Standard quite a bit. And I'll be sad to see some of it go. Like I said, Siege Rhino, don't don't let the door hit you on the way out. But that's going to do it. See you in Modern. See you in Modern. (laughs) That's going to do it for us. My name's been John. That's been oh, Ian. Uh, you can find us on social media. On I, You can find me at, at jwiley129. Where can they find you, Ian? I can be found on Twitter at DixonIJ. That's D-I-X-O-N-I-J. Also, have, on, also on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix. That's D-I-X. Yep. We also have a Twitter account as well. If you're not following it, it is the title of the podcast, at eyes on the mize. Uh, if you see anyone tweeting from it, it's probably me. Ian will add on whenever he feels like it. So it's probably me. Yeah. We generally agree on most things, though. <laughs> For the most part. We've been dealing with spoilers recently, so it's been pretty pretty even. Oh, man. Spoiler season. We'll get to that. 
We'll talk about that later. Uh, Once the full set comes out, we'll probably do it. But it was these were great sets. They were fun. They were fun. And also, the podcast is on iTunes now. You can look at it, you can look it up on Eyes and the Mize. We are currently hosted by Podbean. If you have that app, you can just go ahead and look there. Well, that's going to do it for us. Talk to you guys next time.